Welcome to Cyanotopia, a podcast celebrating cyanotype and the artists who use cyanotype in their art making. Each episode features a short introduction about cyanotype, as well as a long-form interview with an artist who uses cyanotype in their art making. The artists talk about what they make, why they make it, and how they make their work. My name is Marilyn Krasner, and I make each episode of this podcast. I wanted to make a podcast about cyanotype because I have been having an intense love affair with cyanotype, and I think it's natural when love is still fresh to want to talk about it a lot. My mom died unexpectedly in April 2021. If you've been through a big grief, you might understand my need for distraction, and I am very grateful that I discovered cyanotype a month or so after my mom died. Cyanotype has been my companion during this time, a lifesaver for me a brain saver, a joy maker. I'm also a mom and I love that I can show my kids that art doesn't have to be stay within the lines perfect. It is beautiful even when it's uncontrolled, messy, and water gets everywhere. And this podcast is my way of honoring cyanotype and a gift to the cyanotype community and the creative community all over the world. Even if you're not using cyanotype, I think the interviews will resonate because the artists I speak to in these episodes are so interesting. And because the Cyanotype community is made up of people from all over the world, and this podcast is in English, each episode starts with an artist offering an explanation of Cyanotype in whatever language they choose. If you want to support the artists you hear on this podcast, please refer to the show notes and find out how to buy their art. I've listed their websites and social media information, along with a list of links to artists, books, and websites that they mentioned during their interviews. You can find the show notes for each episode in your podcast app or on my website, www.marilynkrasner.com. That's M-A-R-O-L-Y-N-K-R-A-S-N-E-R. And please keep making your art. The world needs your art. And it's okay to make art even when times are really hard because you're a human. And really, it's one of the best parts about being a human being, I think. For episode three of Cyanotopia, I spoke with Jillian Marie Browning. And I found the conversation super inspiring and freeing because I think it's really easy to get in your head about how you want things perfect or I do. It was nice to talk to someone who wasn't striving for perfection, but more just the experience of art making and letting what will be will be. And I think that's really important with cyanotype specifically because it is a bit uncontrolled. Enjoy the show. Moikka. Mun nimi on Johanna Pahalahti. Mä teen syönötypioita. Syönötypioissa kiehtoo etenkin sen käsillä tekeminen ja todella hidas prosessi. Se lopputulos on aina yllättävä. Ja siinä on todella paljon mahdollisuuksia luoda erilaisia teoksia. Koskaan ei voi oikein olla varma siitä lopputuloksesta ja se on mun mielestä ihan äärimmäisen kiehtovaa. Voit käydä tutustumassa mun töihin www.johannapahalahti.com ja Instasta ja Facebookista löytyy myös. Hi, 
My name is Johanna Pahalahti. I am a cyanotype artist from Finland. I believe in creating unique art that has a greater meaning behind it and a connection to nature. I love working with cyanotypes because uh, it's a very slow and mindful process. I love doing cyanotypes, for example, with snow and spices. I have created landscapes, abstracts and stardust formations. I believe possibilities with cyanotypes are endless and the end results never stop surprising me. Hoping to connect with you through my website, Instagram or Facebook. My name is Julia Marie Browning. I am an interdisciplinary artist working primarily in like lens-based media. Um, and my work is also primarily self-portraiture. I explore uh, themes of identity and the contemporary black experience as someone who grew up in like the American South. Uh, and I'm currently an assistant professor of photography at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. I have uh, an undergraduate degree in photography. And um, while I was in school, I took a summer course that was an alternative process class. And we uh, learned several different um, like alternative processes and cyanotype was one of them. So that's how I was introduced to the medium. That was in like 2011. Yeah, like I think it was in 2011, yeah. When I kind of found the process and like our alternative process work in general, um, it was like super eye-opening for me just because my education is in photography, but it's very traditional sort of commercial photography. So it wasn't a lot of exploring art. Um, and then, so when I was sort of moving my practice into more fine art and when I was going to grad school, um, I did sort of explore it a little bit then, but there wasn't a long time where I was using it consistently. I didn't start using cyanotype pretty consistently within my work until probably 2018 is when I sort of picked it back up again and started using it in my in my actual practice. Um, so there was a little bit of a gap, but I was using sort of periodically there, but I was trying to explore sort of other kinds of, of like photography type things. But then in 2018 is when I really sort of latched onto it again. I was trying to explore like this work, this like idea of, um, sort of bring science in back into into my work or the idea of photography. So like my work is, is primarily about identity. It's about like my experiences as a, a black person growing up in the American South. And so when I kind of brought this project back or I brought the sort of medium back for me to try, um, I was creating this work called Matriarchal Line where I was taking the hair from myself, my two sisters and my mother, and I was making cyanotypes out of them. So, but in the idea when I kind of thought, oh, I'll use cyanotypes for this because I wanted to have like the actual impressions of the hair. I wanted you to be able to see the hair, but I didn't want to photograph the hair. Like I was trying to think about what I could do with this project. And like, I wanted to sort of showcase the hair, sort of document the hair, but I didn't want to take pictures of it. And so then I sort of was like, oh, I can use cyanotype for this medium. Um, I also really wanted them to be on fabric. Like I wanted there to be a tactileness to them. Um, and so I ended up uh, using the process like that, but then also tying in the idea of uh, science within like family lineage, but then also the uh, concept of science in relation to like black female bodies and the 
historical, uh, like the historical connotation of that um, and like what kind of like what that stuff could mean and what that does mean. And then how that will also inform uh, the piece once you have all of those things sort of stacked on top of each other. What was that process? Did you, did you take, you asked them to cut some of their hair? I did. I did. I asked. Yeah, I was like, I was like, all right, so I'm making some art. If you love me, you'll give me a piece of your hair. And it was like I asked them to cut off a full limb. It was because like, I mean, the work too is also about like the the length and texture and quality of hair being like a sign of, of your worth, basically. And that sort of still is a, is a thing that's ingrained in a lot of people. So even if I was asking for like a very, you know, I just like a lock of your hair, it was like, no, I'm not going to cut my hair. You know, like it's it's my hair. It's like it's it needs to be long and pretty or whatever. And so it was so hard for me. They eventually all gave me something, but it was just like so difficult for them to give me any of their hair because they you know they're so connected to to not cutting it so i was doing it with my hair first only because i kind of i think i i started the project originally it was only going to be my hair and then i decided to incorporate the hair of my sisters and my mother and so i was just chopping off my hair left and right i was just like cutting off because I, I didn't care i had i had no emotional connection to my hair so i was just like parting it from the middle and the sides and just like hoping that there wouldn't be bald spots but just like hacking off my hair to make this work and then um I was like you know asking my sisters and my mom and like my mom gave me like some small sort of cuts out from the ends of her braids my little sister um cleaned out a brush which is not what I wanted her to do but it was hair and it was fine and my older sister gave me like a small little lock of hair and it's wild because she has so much hair like it's like down her back and I was like, I thought I was going to get this really long, awesome, cool piece of hair that I could make prints with because her hair was so much longer than mine. And no, she gave me like maybe two and a half inches off of the end of one piece. And I was like, really? You're going to be like this small amount of hair? And then she literally was like, you know, if you're going to complain about it, give it back. And so I was like, no, I need it. So I kept it. But yeah, like it was just like so hard for me to 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 ask them for they just, like, wouldn't give it to me and not because they don't love me or support me, but it's because like they were really emotionally connected to, to their hair. Um, but I made it work. Like I kind of like, you know, it's, they're not super big pieces, but I kind of, you know, was making individual prints of them at one toward the end, I was mixing the hair together. So you can kind of like see the, the, like how different the textures were because my hair is a different texture than my older sister, which is a different texture than my little sister. And so I was like, you know, kind of playing around with that because I, wanted to kind of really show that like even though we're all completely blood related our hair looks completely different and like what that kind of means in the black community what that sort of means in the the ideas of hair texture and worth and you know beauty and stuff like that I kind of like so I love like the the concept of it being sort of a science first right like it's the the chemistry of it the tactileness of having to like mix things together to then get the get the piece and I think that's something that really sort of draws me to using more alternative process um, sort of things within my work because I am, you know, I guess in so many words a photographer, but I don't necessarily connect so much with like very traditional photography. And so when it comes to doing 
alternative process work, it's hands-on, it's, you know, you're making these things. I can also sort of use them to do sculptural work or even performative type things. So that's kind of draws me to like the actual like tactileness and more scientificiness of cyanotype in general. But when it comes to sort of how I relate to it in my work, I often will reference the connection of science and black female bodies. And specifically in terms of, of like modern gynecological medicine being completely stemmed from um, like the exploitation and um, like experimentation on black bodies uh, and like how that then relates to, to how I then use that concept within my work and, and talking about that stuff. So I when I did also like I I bring it up and I mention it because it that stuff does come up in conversation when I talk about as somebody who isn't a black body who is then trying to, to make work about it and then talk about the science and the connection where people will often sort of make those ties and bring that up. So I like to always sort of mention it that it is intentional and I'm talking about that. Um, but like that's sort of that's sort of it. Like there's so many layers to what art can be and what you can say with it and how things can connect and I like to make those connections like I'm not I'm not normally doing anything in vain really so I like to always have those different things so that you know conversations can be had or you know people can learn something that possibly they maybe didn't know before for so long I was like I'm not a process-based artist I'm a conceptual artist like it, it's always the the finished product and the, the thing you can talk about after it is is the work right and now like you know years years like ago and years after I was in grad school being pretentious I was just like no like I I I can be a process-based artist like the actual like process of making it and creating it can also be the art but can also be the reason that the art is made I mean like everything that I make it has like the general umbrella of being about identity and the body and oftentimes like racism or like social justice um but sometimes the work exists because I just wanted to do a process and then it kind of forms itself into a thing. Um, but also like a lot of it is like half, I feel like a lot of my work now especially is like half performative, half piece. So, you know, it may exist in the actual piece, but like is the art the art of making it or is the, the art the actual piece that existed after uh, I created that piece? And it, sometimes it is it's a mixture because I think that like I have plenty of pieces where you really sort of understand the, what the piece is better or maybe even understand sort of the act of the piece um, and I talk about how it was made. So yes, maybe it looks good standalone as one piece, but I think uh, sometimes a lot of times a good chunk of the artist statement is also like what went into making that piece as well. I'm a big text panel person. I will read an artist statement if it is five pages long. Like, I love that. But I understand that people, like not everybody does that. So, you know, I can only do so much with like putting the work up and having an artist statement that people can read. Um, but I can't control, like too much can't control like how they perceive the art. So I really just sort of, you kind of learn as an artist to just get over it. And if people don't understand it for how it's supposed to be understood because they didn't want to read your artist statement or your text panel, you can't really do much about that, honestly. And so I've also learned since I am primarily a self-portrait artist to really sort of like separate who I am as a person from like the art that's up. Because like it took some getting used to to 
like understand that you were not being critiqued, even if the picture of you. Um, and so like, I've just separated that. So basically once it's art and it exists in a gallery or in a museum or on Instagram or wherever, and it's posted, I understand that I don't no longer really have any control over that. And it will be perceived the way in which people want to perceive it. And that's just, it's just something that I've gotten used to. Have you been intentional about where you present your work? Have you been intentional about what audiences you want? So I feel like I've only just, in maybe in the last like couple of years, just gotten to the point where I can be like picky about where I show it, um, like where I show my art. But I think it's also because I have started to value, um, I started to value who, how do I say this? I started to value the concept and like the, the, like what my art means. I started to value that more than just getting lines on my CV or getting uh, like exposure at an exhibition. Like that stuff is like people being able to perceive it the way in which it should be perceived and like not out of context, that's a better word. Like being able to show my work in context, not out of context, that's become more important to me than just like, being excited that it's being exhibited somewhere. And so like, I am pretty cautious when it comes to like what kind of calls I apply to. And mostly it's just like a, will my work fit into to the theme of the show? Um, and, you know, like, will it become like an issue that it's there? Because I mean, I have some work that, you know, isn't controversial, but I do also have work that is controversial. And I've had some some experiences where I've shown works and it's like, you know, it's a problem or it's like a, you know, it's a, a, it's a, maybe it's not perceived well, or there've been like, you know, galleries have gotten complaints because of something that they put up of mine. Um, just because people are not, they don't want to talk about it or have the conversation or see my like naked body or whatever. And so when it comes to like institutions or like things that I like, places that I exhibit my work, especially if I'm invited to something, I just want to make sure that my work is not going to be taken out of context and it's not going to be um, like shown in a way that isn't true to what it is as, as a piece. Um, and that's super important to me, like in a way of like, you know, I'm showing if my wife, like I live in this sort of like black fat queer body and if I'm showing my work that is about fat black queerness I don't want it to be shown in a place where people are going to be against that you know like I'm not going to show it in a in an institution that is openly openly against that like I'm not going to, I'm not going to be a part of that and I've also started to um like and this is, I'm sorry getting into something like a personal thing I've had for the last couple of years is that I just don't I will not exhibit my work um, for specifically like Black History Month shows or like Women's History Month exhibitions. I will not do that anymore because that is like for years was my most busiest time was like showing work in the spring because everybody wanted, you know, they want to get their their quota of Black people or queer people or women in exhibitions. And I've just decided that I'm just not going to do that anymore. Like if you liked my work, you will like it in a different season than the spring. Like I'm just not, I'm, I value myself more than, than like tokenism. When you're conceptualizing project, where do you draw your inspiration? Like, what do you want working on right now? And, and how are you feeding that, that work? 
Uh, I mean, I mostly have like a running list in my phone of like ideas I have. So it'll be like a random wording or like a line from a like a book that I like saw or like a title of something weird that I thought was cool or, um, you know, having random conversations with my best friend and like she says something and I go, oh, that's a good thing. Let me write that down. Like mostly pulling from that. Um, and like, I think the basis of the majority of my work kind of pulls from um, like, you know, random words or like titles of stuff. Oftentimes like something that I'll make will stem from me wanting to name it that. So like, if I have like a line of something um, like, like for, so my last solo exhibition was called, I love you say it back. And that particular entire body of work was based on me wanting to name uh, either an exhibition or a piece, I love you say it back um, and kind of pulled from there. So I kind of had the line and then I'm doing a lot of, of this research now on um, like black female maternity. And so a lot of like, you know, expectations on motherhood and um, all of that stuff. And then, so that sort of then stemmed into this last body of work that was primarily about like self-love or self-like intimacy and about how a lot of people who are perceived as women a lot of what your value is or like what is uh like people would consider the most important thing in your life is like who loves you or who do you love and so i sort of made this body of work about like I, you know i am just going to to live in my truth by myself with my 13 year old chihuahua and i'm living like the best life i have i'm so happy right now i don't need like a partner or someone to validate me as a person um and that that's sort of like where that stemmed from so a lot of it is just like you know thinking a lot two o'clock in the morning racing thoughts talking to yourself like a lot of that kind of stuff um and then sometimes too it just it just stems from like i want to do a process or like i want to all right i want to make cyanotypes but i want them to be you know 12 feet long what's going to stick on that what do i do like how do i do that what do i want to make you know and then i also since i am primarily a self-portrait artist um i take a lot of images of myself and use them as reference so i'll just take a lot of pictures sometimes and then i'll kind of have i have them like in folders and i'll kind of go through them and kind of figure out like what fits with what what pieces together and then sometimes um, I mean, most of the time art happens from that. So what is your process? Let's just talk practice for a bit. Like where do you work in fabric and paper, right? I work in primarily fabric, but I have done work on paper, but it's primarily fabric. My favorite brand of cyanotype is, is Jacquard. So that brand I've used, I use them um, like exclusively. They're great. I've used other brands, but that's my favorite brand. They don't pay me. I just think they're wonderful. Um, and I buy them in bulk. That's the, the, the actual, like, that's the, the brand that I love the most. It's the most consistent. It's super, super great. Um, so I use the Jacquard brand. Um, and because I have to coat like so much fabric and like, you know, in such large quantities, if I have like, if I'm preparing for an exhibition normally, um, I just use like my hands and like an old, uh, no, I guess not old, but like a cheap-ish like paintbrush. I found that like, you know, those wonderful, like soft bristle, beautiful brushes for like doing on paper just do not work for fabric at all. You need like the toughest, bristliest brush you can to like make sure things are getting coated. Um, and then I mostly just use my hands because I've gotten like it down to basically a science on how to coat like, you know, 12 feet of, of muslin fabric uh, easily without having to do it in like one layer. And so it's a lot of like folding it in on itself coating it in the cyanotype, squishing it together, laying it out, like 
brushing it over with the brush. Like it's, a, it's a whole song and dance sort of thing that, that I do at this point. But um, yeah, like because I have to do usually so many of them, it's a lot of like doing that. Like I coat them and then I sort of like fold them in on themselves. And I, I, let, I personally like let mine sit overnight in a bag so that they kind of, it soaks and it kind of marinates. And then um, I will open it up the, like the next day and let it sort of dry um, like enough. But for me personally, when it comes to like my fabric work, I normally don't have enough time uh, or patience to let it dry fully. So I normally will use my cyanotype damp and it works great for me. Um, but yeah, so I, it's like a, it's a lot, it's a, it's a process, but it's there. It works. It works. just great. I'm also like not a clean, like real precise, like pretty artist. Like I'm like, Stand up to my elbows. It splashed all over my face. Like it, that's just how you got to get it done. Yeah, that I think that might be the most controversial thing that you you expose it when it's damp. I can't believe it. Oh yeah, I do. I do, and I, I it, and it works. I mean, I'm I'm not like a whole. I'm not gonna be like a um like a stickler about certain things. But like, yeah, I mean, I tried a lot of things when you have to make so many, or you're making a lot of work, or you're just doing it in often you kind of learn what works and what doesn't work and for me I've learned that exposing a damp works just fine so the bag thing is really that's cool is that something you just developed yourself putting it in a bag yeah I I learned that because um when I was coating like coating fabric and like running out of chemistry like that's what's also gotten me to like learn what the best like uh coating method is and stuff because like I've definitely Cause I also mix, like when I make work, like my work is really large. Like my fabric panels are normally like 36 inches by anywhere from like another, like four feet to, to eight feet to 12 feet long. Um, like cyanotypes, like I make really big work. So I'm mixing chemistry normally like 32 ounces at a time, normally to coat a couple I've, I've mixed a gallon at a time to coat a bunch to that I need to get some work done. So like I coat in large quantities. And so I've gotten down to like the end of my chemistry and still had like another like six feet of fabric to coat before. And so I've learned that like, you know, if you kind of stack them on top of each other, if you have a lot, and kind of when like, you know, like roll them together or fold them together, any excess chemistry is just going to leak into any of the parts that aren't already coated. And so that gives me like a nice even coating normally is that I'll kind of coat them as best as I can, scrunch them up and then let them sit. And they kind of just like, you know, absorb and like marinate onto themselves for like a day. And then you normally get a pretty uh, good coating. Well, that's great. Thank you for sharing that tip. How are you exposing and what are you what are you putting on these really big pieces? So I'm, I'm doing a mixture of like regular sunlight outside. Um, when I was, I just, I just recently moved to Birmingham, Alabama for uh, my teaching position at UAB. And um, when I was, and I moved from Florida, so it's like hot and sunny all the time. You can make work almost whenever you want, which is super great. And I was doing them primarily in the sunlight because I had, I had the sunlight. Um, and then when I, like the biggest pieces that I made using the sunlight, they were, they were three, they're three feet by eight feet. They took a lot of like extra hands to kind of help me move the plexi and stuff on them. Um, but when I got to Birmingham, I got a studio space, which was great. And I built an exposure unit. So I have like a shell, like a shelving unit that I built that has uh, UV lights in it. And so I can now do four feet by eight foot exposures inside. And so I have that to do work with now. So 
I have work at Sunlight and then also bigger ones I use the exposure unit for. Um, and so I do a mixture of like UV light, artificial light. And then the, what I primarily put on my like sanitizer is I normally, I do a mixture of like plant life, but I also do a lot of, of large format uh, digital negatives. So I kind of work in like this analog uh, like process, but I do a lot of digital um like digital like uh, additions to it. So I do uh, like just like large inkjet negatives. So I do, I normally will take imagery like digitally. I'll do any sort of Photoshop I, I need to do to it, any sort of altering. And then I convert it into a negative and I get a large negative out of it. And then I do my sound type prints of those. When you're ready to use the fabric, are you ironing it or how are you, it comes out of the bag, um, you let it dry for a little bit. How are you getting it flat? So I have ironed it before, but I, like I said, am a chaos demon. So I just kind of lay it out flat and I hope for the best. A lot of the times though, it's not that bad. So like um, if I'm like not necessarily folding it, I'm more rolling it. It's not super wrinkly and it doesn't have a ton of like creases in it. Um, but if it does have some creases, I just kind of like, I try to flatten as much as I can like with the plexi that goes on top or I just roll with the creases. I mean, like, I'm not, like I said, I'm not like a super perfect, like, you know, um, like precise artist. So if there's a couple of creases in my, in my work, or if there's a couple of, of like a little discoloration area or like a fold that didn't get exposed, I'm not super like concerned about that, but for the most part, it all works out pretty well. Like it doesn't, I don't really need to be super precise because it's working out fine. So I would tell people to, cause I've like, I've like met some cyanotype artists who are like very, very particular about measuring and, and the materials they use and the sunlight and, and like how they lay things out and position them. And that's really great if that is your working process, but that is not my working process and things are working out great for me. So I say, just, just go for it. That's awesome. Yeah. And that just, I mean, makes me think about that, that whole idea of perfectionism and like something that bugs you or that you like, nobody knows really your intention. You, you know, the work is about something a bit bigger than the perfection of how a leaf looks or whatever. Exactly. I mean, I tell my students all the time, I was like, I don't know what this is supposed to look like in your brain. I don't have that reference. So I'm just looking at it, how it looks and it looks great to me, you know, but like they get really like stuck on, this is not how it's supposed to be, or this isn't what it looked like in my head. But like, I don't know what it was supposed to like in your head. So it looks really good to me. Like, don't even worry about it. How big are your pieces of plexiglass and are you using them all the time? So when I make my, the ones that I do stuff outside, I do use plexi. So I have a full sheet of plexi that's, that's a four foot by eight foot sheet of plexi. And then I have some smaller ones. I'm not sure of the dimensions of them, but they're enough to cover like, um, like three foot by four foot pieces of fabric. I have a couple of those. So they're probably like three and a half feet by four and a half feet. Um, and then I have like some random smaller ones. I have lots of different size things. I have like, you know, 20 by 30 contact printers. And like, I have a lot of different size to make a lot of different sized work and stuff. So like some small ones, some big ones, but yeah, my biggest piece is a full sheet of plexi. So it's a four foot by eight foot sheet. And I only really use those when I'm doing stuff outside or if I really need to like press something down flat. Um, but for the most part, when I'm doing just like regular negatives in my exposure unit inside, 
the, there's no wind, you know? So I don't really need to use anything to hold it down because it's just sitting in a still room. So I don't really need any sort of um, anything to kind of hold it down really. It's not, it's not fully in focus if it's not fully touched because it's contact print. So, I mean, sometimes I lean into that, um, but for the most part, I think it also helps because I do um, print on fabric that's a little bit damp, is that with my um, interest transparencies, they'll kind of, I smooth them down, they kind of stick to the fabric. So I don't normally have a lot of, of um, sort of like ghosted imagery or like unfocused areas because everything's pretty solid and stuck down on there i mean but i have played around with like shadows and like slightly more 3d plants and stuff and like how that can look and shadowing areas especially of like laying things down and then moving them after a little bit and then keeping exposing the piece a little bit after that and kind of playing around with those things like i really love the the amount of um like of experimentation you can do with cyanotypes. So that's why I really like lean into kind of whatever the cyanotype wants to give me. So if it wants to give me patchiness or it wants to give me ghosted imagery, or if it wants to give me like an uneven something, I want to go with it. That sounds great. Like, let's see what happens. Do you see it as a, like a collaborator? Yeah, because I think that a lot of it is, I'm like just super not against is not the word. I'm just like super not interested in perfection. And so I love when I can make something and, you know, I have to expose it, I have to wash it. And even though I know exactly what I'm doing, I'm not an expert, but I would say I am like pretty good at stereotype now. Like I've like, I know basically like all of the ins and outs of what's going to work, what's not going to work, mixing different things, what kind of water to use and how it's going to look like. I know what, what's going to happen, but also it's super interesting to me that like, I can know exactly what's going to happen. I wash it and I open it up and it doesn't look like how I thought it was going to look. And I think that that is cool. Like, I love being able to like have that. Like, I think I love that, that sort of that idea of, of uncertainty. I think that's, that is exciting to me. Like if I could make something and it will look exactly the same every single time, like that's boring. A lot of times when I'm making something, like I have a general idea, but I, I don't know if I have ever made something where it was exactly how it was supposed to look in my brain and that's what actually happened like there's I just kind of roll with it like it's all a part of the process for me so like um my I had a, a series like a couple of pieces I just did called from my I love you say it back exhibition and they were called say it back and they're these images of like basically the bottom of my face and I and I I face them towards each other so they look like they're kissing but if you look at the works there's a lot all this texture in the blues and that's because when I was mixing my chemistry I mixed it with um, some like warm water from a tap in a, like a utility sink at my studio and I had never used that water before and I realized that, that water is very minerally it has a lot it's, it's really hard water and so like I didn't think about any, I just mixed the chemistry. And then as I coated it, coated fine and looked normal. But when I exposed it, I noticed, and as I washed it, is that like it left mineral deposits like all in the cyanotype. So like there's all this really fun, weird texture uh, and like clumpiness. And like, it, it just looks, it's like, it almost looks like, um, like slate or like, you know, rock or something that's like in the cyanotype. And I would never be able to guess, like I could have never done that on purpose. And I was like, and so I opened it up and I kind of saw that was happening. I was like, I don't know what's happening, but I'm into this and I'm just going to roll with it. You know, like I could have very much like freaked out and like been upset that I just ruined like a whole bolt of fabric and like a half a gallon of chemistry 
or I could just kind of roll with it and see what happens and embrace it. And then now I kind of like have this work and now I know that I might be able to reproduce this under the same circumstances if I mix this chemistry again and kind of see what happens with it. But like, I really just sort of like let things happen as they happen. I don't, I don't like to put so much like emphasis or force onto like what the art is gonna be in the end. I kind of like let it kind of also do what it wants to do. And do you get any challenges to that? Um, kind of way of working from students or other people in academia or other artists? Oh, no, absolutely not. So like, I mean, I think that the, the process of you making your work, I feel like most people don't like actually really care that much about that, like how it comes to work, you know, it's mostly of like, what, how it's, uh, what the the outcome is you know and so i don't think they don't really matter like how the work actually becomes made um my students like the only sort of pushback i get from them is that they especially because they're students right so they're learning so the majority of them if they take a class with me have never done the thing that we're doing in that class so they get kind of like a little bit like like frustrated if like they don't if they can't control every aspect of it and a lot of times i just go like okay i can give you all of the information to where this should happen perfectly but if it doesn't happen perfectly don't freak out like and, and like something that i hear from all the time is what if i mess it up and then my response to them is always mess it up like you don't learn anything if you don't mess it up i have messed up tons of stuff. I talked to you about how I'm just all willy-nilly in my studio making art and not all of it works. I would say maybe 75% of it works, but some of it still gets thrown in the garbage because it didn't work because I was too willy-nilly about it. And so like, you just gotta like, just like let it happen, but also then you learn because a lot of times if you mess something up or you let it happen and it doesn't work, now you know, okay, I will either not do that again or I will do it again, but like a different way because I think I can figure it out after I mess it up the first time. When you are teaching, do you have the raw chemicals and they do all the mixing? What's your process when you introduce cyanotype? So, um, so I ran an alternative process class actually this past semester. And so we did like cyanotype, we did like other sun printing type things. And how I did it was I showed them like how to mix the chemistry because I buy it in bulk and just measure it out and it's super simple. So I show them that it is simple, um, but I mostly just have a bunch of it mixed and they just kind of use it from there, but it's just mixed in part A and part B and they mix together their equal parts and coat whatever they want. Um, but for the main reason, I kind of like show them how to do it. And I even tell them like how to buy it, where you can buy it. It's because like, I'm really drawn to cyanotype for like the accessibility of it, at least where, you know, in the part of the United States where I live in, it's easy to buy on the internet to get shipped to you. It's not expensive. And like all you need is sunlight and water to make it happen. So I like to sort of talk to them about like, you know, what this process is, the history behind it, how to all mix it together, but also like how to get it and like how to do stuff with it. Because it is, I think it's, people are drawn to it so much because it is actually such an easy process to do. And so I wanna make sure that they understand that like, just because you're learning how to do this in school, it's not like this inaccessible, crazy thing you'll never be able to use again. You know, like it's a, a very easy thing that everybody can really do. I love that. Yeah. And when I do workshops, I'm always like, you don't have to have that that whole artistic stress, you know, of like an image coming out exactly like a foot doesn't need to look like a foot, you know? So, so what recipe do you use? 
So I use this with the one that Jacquard uh, recommends on the back of their um, their chemistry. Um, but I always do it by weight and not by volume because they have weight and volume measurements. And I've just found that the volume measurements are like not correct. So I use the weight measurements. So um, I don't remember what they, yeah, I do remember what they are. So it's like, it's a hundred grams of part B to 400 milliliters of water and 10 and 50, 40 grams of part A to 400 milliliters of water. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Um, but yeah, I just use that and that works out great for me. I've had to water it down a little bit sometimes the stretch chemistry and that's also still worked for me. Um, like I said, we're, it's the wild west over here. I'm just doing stuff and it's working. So <laughs> I don't think I've ever not gotten something. And then unless like my, my actual like exposure time was super wrong. I have mm -hmm. never got, I've never like had an issue with like my chemistry. I've, I've used super old chemistry. I've used uh, like paper that I coded and forgot about for like eight months and it's like completely blue. And I'm like, oh, we'll see if it happens. And then I've, I've done it. I've washed it, gotten an image. So it's, it's also like such, such a forgiving process too. My friend left her mixed chemistry out for like three weeks and then she used it, just painted it on paper and exposed it. And it was almost like a uh, dark gray. Ooh, that's awesome though. Cause like they tell you that you can't really do that. I mean, I've gone past the recommended, like, I think it's two to four hours or I've gone past that, but I've never gone past more than like probably maybe 12 hours. Um, so now I want to experiment with leaving it out for weeks and see what happens. <laughs> And what about, are you mixing, you know, so on the back of the package, it says to leave it for 24 hours, but like, are you, I have experimented with making sure it's dissolved and just using it right away. Have you done that? Yeah. So I've, I do let mine sit at least for a couple hours. So I think that I like the least amount of time I've let it sit is maybe like five or six hours. Um, but I do let it take, I do, I do want it to be fully dissolved or as dissolved as possible. But yeah, I think maybe maybe four or six hours is like the least amount of time I've let it sit. But I normally, if I, tr I try to pre-plan enough to mix it and let it sit for 24 hours or like as close to 24 as possible. So like if I mix it at night and then come back like the next afternoon, I'm like, that's fine. That's close enough. And so have you have had students that they're just like hooked? Well, I've like every student that I, I think that I taught cyanotype to this semester, all of them, that was their favorite process that we did in the class. Cause I also teach them solar fast, which is like the same, uh, the same company Jacquard makes it. It's like light sensitive dye. Yeah. It's awesome. I love it so much. It's a little harder to work with actually, even though it's all pre-mixed in one bottle, the texture is a little bit different. The exposure time is different and the results are different. They're like not as crisp in my opinion. And so I've, I teach them, like I teach them that I teach them solar fast. I teach them cyanotype. I teach them um like other sort of similar processes and a lot of them i think they just think cyanotype is the best because it is in my opinion the you get the best results out of it like you get the best sort of crispness and imagery and uh, everything out of the cyanotype so i've had a bunch of them just be like this is this is great like this is so fun this is like the thing that i like to do the most um and like they kind of run with it too of like what they can do with it i love to see them like because i because i very much like even though i teach just like regular very traditional photography when i can do fun things i really encourage them to just go go all out with it and so like for the final i was like you can do whatever you want for this class it can be whatever you want it to be and some of them of course did sort of more simple um like just on paper plant life but i had some of them like 
coding like a lot of my similar work big pieces of fabric and and doing like double exposures and then and like, and like printing on it and then like sewing onto it like they were just running with the idea of what they could do with this medium and that was all like super exciting for me because like I love it this I love this medium like it's it makes me really excited to like talk about it and then I get to teach that to students and they have sort of that exact sort of that like very similar reaction to it and that just makes me like super excited they're very lucky to have you <laughs> show them all this stuff. Okay, so um, I saw you did like solar fast on cheese slices. So that was one of my students, actually. Yes. Okay. So that that's one of my students, Harper. Um, she just graduated with her BFA in photography, and she took my alternative process class um, like this semester. And so for one of the for the cyanotype project, she was like, "I want to I want to do pictures of cows on cheese slices." And she's like, "Will that work?" And I said, "I have no idea. Let's do it because that's the kind of professor that I am. It's a, I never tell them no. I go, let's see. And I was like, I don't know why it wouldn't work. Like it's it's a porous surface cheese, and then it's cyanotype. I don't know why that wouldn't work." And so she kind of did it the first time. And then she kind of like didn't have, she had to like develop a process basically. And so the very, very first ones that she made, the cheese is super oily. So it wasn't like taking the chemistry super well. And then she learned that she had to dry the cheese out and then coat it. And then like, she was soaking the cheese in the chemistry. It was like a whole thing. And so the very first set that she got, they were kind of splotchy. They weren't super clear, but I was like, this is amazing. Like if you told me I want to sign on top on top of cheese, I'm like, yeah, this is probably the result you're going to get. And then she just kind of kept doing it. So for her final, for the class, she did it again, but had a more precise process of like a precise drying time for the cheese, a precise way to coat them, a precise way to dry them, how to then expose them. And then she got like these perfect crisp images of cows on like slices of Swiss cheese. And it's like, it's possibly... Uh, my greatest um, like academic achievement. I'm like the proudest of that I feel in my years of teaching and the hundreds of students that I've had in my career. I feel like this is the one that I was like, this is it for me. But yeah, she had so much fun. It's like the process was so interesting and the actual what she's doing is so cool. So like, yeah, she did that and it it worked. And so it's amazing. So what, what are some of the non-traditional uh, surfaces you've done cyanotype specifically on? So I've mostly only ever done it on real, on just re regular stuff. Like I do fabric is easy. You know, I've done it on um, like different papers, like types of papers. Um, I've also experimented on doing it on to leaves. So like actually like leaf surfaces, trying to um, sort of emulate um, like when people do chloroform prints where they stick a negative on top of a leaf and then leave it outside and like you know, let the image print onto the leaf. I sort of tried to mimic that with cyanotype and put it on an actual flat leaf surface. Um, but for the most part, I'm boring. Like I follow people who do really cool things like, but there's an artist in uh, Georgia who does, um, it on, who does them on glass and her work is so amazing. Her Instagram name is Asla Lachelle. Um, but yeah, she does cyanotypes on glass and they're amazing. Like, I've had my students kind of try to do them as well because I've shown them her work and um, they can't get it. It's so, I feel like it's hard, but she is so good at it. And so who are some of the other artists that are inspiring you? 
So, I mean, when it comes to like, like cyanotype or like alternative process work, it's not like anyone in particular. It's normally me like going through a lot of the tags on Instagram and like seeing the people that are making, making that work and just being like, wow, this work is so good. Like I follow, um, what's the, my favorite Instagram is, I'm gonna get the whole name right so that I, um, yeah, the, the Instagram is called alternative processes. Uh, and like, and they have a ton of cyanotype work on there. Lots of other different alt process stuff too. But they will repost artists. Also, I think it's Cyano Masters is another one that I follow. But they will just they just post artists, and I love being able to see that because you get people from like all different walks of life. Like you know, when the pandemic happened, um, I started getting more into like making my cyanotype work and posting it on Instagram, and like get and also too, I started making. I know this is going to sound stupid, but I started making cyanotype work for fun. And like, yes, my art practice and my research practice is fun for me, but like I was just making leaf prints or I was just making like t-shirts, like not stuff I in quotation marks, my real art, I was just making other stuff. And so like to kind of pass the time in quarantine and stuff like that. And I got like, I made and found such an amazing community of other cyanotype artists on Instagram and like TikTok because of that. Like, so I saw I was being like a little less like, you know, purposeful with the work that I was making and just making things for fun. And then I was finding people because other people were also doing that. Other people were just like people who had no art background at all were getting in a cyanotype because it's so accessible and they were making t-shirts and bucket hats and, and other just like, you know, beautiful prints and things and being able to like connect with people that way has been like the most beautiful part, I think, of being really into cyanotype. It's that like, there's such a good, interesting, vibrant community of people making work like within this medium. And like my favorite thing is when I put my print, like if I'm teaching a class and I put the cyanotype in water and then I let it wash and like, and you let it wash and then you dump the water, let it wash again. And then like you put in the hydrogen peroxide and it like immediately gets all so much darker and like more contrasty. And like the people who are like just learning the process are like, oh, it's like this you know, in front of their eyes, like magic thing that's happening for them. And like, that's always like the coolest part. Cyanotype is so cool too, because I've, I've taught workshops for years. I was, I've taught literally, I've taught cyanotype to four-year-old children and like 85-year-old people. Like it's every single ass, like, like range of age I've taught this process to. And like, that's what I say when people like, you know, when they take my class, I'm like, I've taught this process to literal children. You're going to do great. Like, don't even get nervous. Don't worry about it. And like, it's also too, because I've done well, workshops too, where like, we'll walk around and collect plant life together. But then I've also done some where people will bring plant life, plant life, like to the workshop. And it's so interesting to see like what they bring. And like, some people have whole gardens that they just kind of bring bags of stuff to. And like, it's so cool to like, see them lay it out and like, put all that thought and precision into like this layout that they want to make of this work, because it's like, you know, they're, they want to make the art and it's just, it's just so cool. Do you ever think about like the origins of cyanotype or like Anna Atkins or those early, um, you know, people who are doing mostly botany or even blueprint stuff? Like, do you ever think about the history of it aside maybe from when you're teaching it? Uh, yeah, I mean, because when I was, you know, doing a lot of 
like I have a series it's called relative that's a mixture of of negatives and plant life and I was sort of like directly referencing like Anna Atkins in that work because I was talking a lot about like the science and all that stuff so when I bring up and I, and I do artist talks about that work I do talk about like Anna Atkins uh, and like the work that she was doing and, and why this process was like kind of created. And then in my matriarchal line series of like the pieces of my hair, my sister's hair, all that stuff. Um, I also directly referenced Anna Atkins in that because I was talking about like the idea of, of the hair types and textures kind of being like specimens. And so I was kind of trying to record them scientifically as if like as Anna Atkins was doing. And so like I do definitely um, sort of reference that in a lot of my sound type work. What are some of your projects that you're doing in the future? Um, so my primary like uh, research practice right now is all dealing with um, like black female maternity. And so I've been doing a lot of work um, recently and like research recently about just like, you know, what's it like to like uh, have a baby and like birth one, like what that's like, how many people are just straight up dying, trying to give birth, you know, like the support that you have after you have that child, like what, what that's like and what that kind of means. And then, um, you know, sort of tying into as well, like reproductive justice. So, you know, the, the possible, um, like the, the Roe versus Wade, um, like being possibly being overturned soon is a thing that is like going going on over here. And so like referencing that in a lot of my work. So most of it is just like, like you know, my work all the time is about like, you know, the, the black body, the perceived female body, things like that. And so I'm really sort of leaning into more kind of like this sort of um, maternity and birth and sort of stuff like that kind of now. Um, exact projects, not necessarily anything happening right right now because I don't have like an exhibition coming up so normally I only have like something really in the works if I'm like trying to make it on a deadline because I have like no self-preservation um but as far as like right now it's something kind of there's like some smaller things like ideas in the works but no like main main things happening right now you know cyanotype is super accessible um it's it's chemistry that lasts forever. If you can get your hands on like two small bottles of it, you can just use it until you don't have it anymore. Like it's it's a, it's such an, an easy process. You own the sunlight and water and like it shouldn't really stop people from trying to create art. Like I am like the least bougie person when it comes to art and like and creating it and making it and being an artist. And like, I feel like anyone who wants to be an artist can be an artist. And so I think that's why I love Cyanotype so much because I've, I've really found so many people who didn't think that they were artists before possibly who kind of found this medium and then ran with it and kind of like explore themselves as people and the art that they make like with this process so i'm just like so jazzed about this sort of resurgence within cyanotype that's happened in the probably the last like five years because it's bringing so many new people to like this world of of, of art and also like uh, you know alternative photography and, and then printmaking Thank you so much for, for having me, like inviting me. This has been so, it's been fun. So I, I, and I love talking about this kind of stuff. So thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Cyanotopia. Please remember that links to references mentioned by the artists, other artists, books, websites are all listed in the show notes. I'm always open to feedback and I'm always looking for people to offer introductions to this podcast. So please go to the show notes and get in touch. And I'm wishing you sunshine, 
wherever you are. See you next week.